0: Today's reading is from Philippians chapter four verses one to nine. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Judea and I urge Cyntic to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the Book of Life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, And if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you.
1: Hello. How are we doing this morning? Oh, thank you. Someone was very... There'll be a little bit of interactivity like last time, so thanks for that. Um, Let me get myself sorted up here. There's a few things going on today which I'm really looking forward to exploring. This is a great passage, uh, a challenging passage, I will certainly add, uh, when we go to put it into practice, as Rachel's already mentioned. Um, look, last week I spoke about uh, the Christian journey and uh, it, was, it was a great passage and it encouraged a lot of people and so if you haven't seen it, maybe chat to someone who was here or, or read through the passage, it was the back half of chapter 3 or watch it online but in a sense I kind of looked at what it meant to start our Christian journey having already won the prize, that is by faith we have been saved by grace Uh, And our our journey, our Christian journey, is one of the privilege of knowing Jesus more and more and the power of His resurrection until we are made perfect and raised with Him and see our Saviour face to face. And we know that journey is not linear, uh, but it's quite different to the journey before faith. Uh, That is the journey of kind of self-discovery, of trying to find your purpose, all that has been given to us by virtue of trusting in Jesus Uh, and that is a privilege of privileges. I think it's about this stage uh, in the Christian journey that I think we kind of reach this moment that I'm going to call fridge magnet faith. Uh, and there's, there's a good thing about that. let me explain what I mean by that. It could be metaphorical, it could be actually real uh, and that is that you, you know, as you discover more about Jesus, because it's our privilege to know Him more and more, we come across a particular passage that really sings to us for all kinds of reasons. One of those passages would be something like this. Do not be anxious about anything, instead pray about everything. For all kinds of reasons, that might be on your fridge, literally or metaphorically. It is a beautiful passage. As you get up in the morning, you kind of get the juice out of the fridge, you close it, you look at it and you're like, do not be anxious, pray. And that might be a rich encouragement to you. It's usually about that time in life, you know what's going to happen next, right? It's usually about that time of life when you've got your fridge magnet verse that something like this
0: happens. Come on. Oh, yes! Where is the fridge? Don't know about Split, but it really
1: got smashed.
0: <gasps> oh!
1: It's pretty funny. I mean, these, these guys, are. Um, uh, how ridiculous is the YouTube channel? Uh, a couple of guys out of Perth uh, that are Christian, I believe. I didn't choose them for that. I chose them for their demonstration of a one-tonne axe falling on a fridge at 45 metres. That's pretty funny. Uh, you can watch their YouTube video of all kinds of stuff they smash. But my point is this. It's not as funny. <laughs> it's not as funny, actually. Uh, w- w- when, when you've got that fridge magnet verse, and it's really, it means something to you, and then it just gets totally obliterated. You know, that moment in, in, in kind of life where, where life seems to overtake your faith, where your circumstances seems to flood out whatever truth you thought you had. Last week we were told to live up to the truth we have attained, but sometimes we are just maxed out. And usually it's at that point as well, maybe you're meeting in a small group, where someone says to you, Mike, I can see that you're anxious. Do not be anxious, brother, <laughs> but pray. What's your response in that moment? That's, that's hard, isn't it? What we need, brothers and sisters, is something more than a verse on our fridge. We need it written on our hearts. We need that verse to have real purchase into the, kind of, into the reality of our life. And, and we need this verse to have kind of meaning and intersection with where we are at in our journey, what our circumstances actually mean. And let us be slow to, to, to say quick proof texts into each other's lives but to sit meaningfully as Jesus sits with us and shepherds us through, what we need is the joy of Jesus to give us the real power of peace in the real mess of life. That's what we need, the joy of Jesus to give us the real power of peace in the real mess of life. Because what we find in this passage is not Paul opening up the fridge to get some juice, he's sitting in a prison. Remember that? Back to the beginning of this letter. He's sitting in prison and there is much for him to be anxious about. Not just his circumstances, of course, the injustices that, that he is kind of experiencing, but, but for the Philippians, who are kind of this church he loves so far from him, he's unable to help them. And, and they have all kinds of reasons to be worried that they are being persecuted for their faith, Uh, there's all kinds of kind of false teaching kind of happening around them. Uh, What is going to happen to this church plant that, that Paul planted in blood, sweat and tears? And yet he is able to say this, and so let's tap into why Paul, in how Paul is able to say this, that it might have real power for us today. I'm going to split the passage in two chunks as we really wrestle with this and how to get it. Uh, and that is real tension in the church. Paul starts by talking about an issue that he's aware of, but then also real worries because every tension we experience in the world tends to soak in to our heart, and that's what we're going to talk about when we speak to worries. So let's begin. Real tension. Keep the Scriptures open. Uh, we are certainly not going to have time for Q&A today because we're doing communion as well. Um, but let me give you a massive plug, actually, that if you want to bring questions, and I have no doubt, since I'm not a psychologist or counsellor, there I have no doubt there are going to be things from this passage that are going to bubble up to the surface. Can I encourage you to come to Conversations of Hope uh, and bring your questions there? There'll be time for quite a bit of Q&A in that space. But uh, let's begin, because uh, Paul speaks to... The Philippian church as a great church. That's how he starts. So then my dearly loved and longed for brothers. He longs to be with them again. And he calls them my joy and crown. Crown there is not just a, a, a kind of a royal thing. It, it's actually uh, more likely to be the, the, the prize that a runner wins when they win the race. Last week we talked about the journey, the kind of the race as it were, uh, that we might make every effort to, in, in that journey of faith. And, and the prize is kind of this, this crown. And Paul actually says, you are my joy and my crown. As I sit here in prison and I think about you and I contend for the faith and I strive and make every effort, I think of you as my prize. I want to encourage you and lift you up. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Stand firm. There's lots going on. Stand firm in Christ for everything else is sinking sand. And as he thinks about the Philippians and even holds them in high esteem, Just like he said of himself, I am not perfect yet, (laughs) so too with the Philippian church. They are a great church, but they are not perfect yet. He has heard of some issues in the church and he, he takes it this moment in the letter to speak to those. Because he then writes, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, Paul himself has been in conflict with other believers. You can think of the time where uh, he and Barnabas had such disagreement, they separated in their ministries, Uh, to return again later, but but it's it's not unusual for Christians to have disagreement. It can be, at one level, a, a disagreement about theology and so Paul writes to the Galatian church saying, who has deceived you? How have you done this to Christ that you would abandon the faith? But in this case, he doesn't speak to theology. He doesn't go there, that's because I don't think this kind of tension is like that. Uh, Rather, it's kind of a bit more mundane, but still very real. Uh, That is, there are all kinds of reasons that Christians will disagree. Uh, Churches are kind of famous for disagreeing over kind of the colour of the chairs, or kind of the wall, or kind of the way we do this, or that, or kind of what song we sing. You know, there's all... Sure, we all come not only as sinners, but with individuals with particular ideas on how we ought to do things. And when you put those together, tension, it happens. Paul's honest about it. And obviously whatever tension is happening in the house church of Philippi, that is, it's not a massive church, so kind of small tensions are kind of known quite sort of publicly in that sense. Those tensions have made their way to him and so he speaks to them. And as he speaks to them, I think of a couple of things. One is tensions in the church are not private, they're public. I'll clarify that a little bit, lest you think I'm going to sort of speak publicly about all the things I'm noticing. Um, <laughs> when, when your body, made up of many members, has, has a tension in it, uh, like, for instance, your back, you, you know, you might have kind of, you know, got a spasms in your back, your whole body is going to feel that. Uh, in the same way that, like, when there's a tension in the church, the whole system, it kind of compensates whether it's aware of the particular tension or not. And as kind of a whole body issue in that sense, it really does, we have the privilege, I suppose, of actually working together to to speak to each other, to encourage one another. And again, you you might not be aware of kind of what's happening over here, but as we encourage one another in faith, we we are acting as the body to, to tend to one another. And so in this case, this is what Paul says. Yes, I also ask you, true partner to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. Now, the true partner there, um, that could be Epaphroditus, the kind of guy who who brought the the letter originally to Philippi and Paul was sending back to to the prison and Paul was going to send back. I'm not quite sure, actually. But nonetheless, Paul is giving this message to to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers. That is, while there are tensions in play here, uh, the kind of, the, the foundation of their relationship is that they have contended for the gospel, that these are, these are brothers and sisters, these are Christians, let's not let the tension become the main thing, let's let the main thing become the main thing. Their names are written in the book of life and let, let us think about that as we might experience various tensions, it's so easily, as we're going to see particularly in the next section, to let those tensions become the primary thing that we have in our mind when we relate to those people. Paul's actually flipping that and say, yes, we're going to deal with those tensions, uh, but but let's keep the main thing the main thing. These these sisters are, are kind of co-workers in the Gospel, they are assured salvation by faith and on that basis, can you encourage them to have the same mind, to agree? And of course, as soon as I use that language, have the same mind, we're taken back to Philippians 2 where we're urged to have the same mind of Christ. And what did that look like? Him giving up His power to serve us, even unto death, that we might have life. As I think about the tensions in this church, in any church, I actually don't have things in mind as I say this, I'm reminded of what Kel and I shared at the marriage course we ran last year and what I share with uh, couples that I do marriage prep with, I just married a couple yesterday who are exploring church and uh, it was a privilege to walk alongside them and hold out the wisdom of the gospel. Uh, you know, I, I say this to them, uh, John Gottman, a, a, um, a uh, psychologist who specialises in marital stability and, and marital analysis, his speciality is predicting divorce, cool guy. Um, uh, he says this, he says 75% of marital conflict is unresolvable. Whew. 75 percent. So, if you've got a hope of kind of, if you want to come to church or if you want to sort of think about your marriage and think about uh, Jesus has so kind of blessed us with every spiritual blessing that we're going to just zap every tension, every kind of uh, sort of conflict, I just think we've got to go, no, it doesn't work like that. What Jesus gives us is the ability to forbear, to actually take that kind of conflict and walk together with it. But as we acknowledge that we are saved sinners, and I said this in the sermon at the wedding yesterday, as we acknowledge that we are saved sinners, we can own the contributions we make to the tensions in our community, that we can take the plank out of our own eyes before noticing the speck in others. It's been a challenge to sort of reflect on this passage this week, and also kind of the things that I bring to relationships and to this church. In my own leadership, of course, uh, some of those contributions are magnified because I have a position of power. Friends, we need to speak into that a- a- and then, and then when, when we notice these things a- a- and when we're called up on them, what, what matters next is actually the gospel imperative. What are we going to do moving forward? How are we going to pursue like-mindedness? How are we going to forbear? And I get the feeling that as Paul celebrates this gospel imperative, this kind of keeping the main thing the main thing, uh, that these women have their names written in the book of life. He, He just, he spills out with kind of rejoicing. As he says, their names are written in the book of life. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice in the Lord always, so that even in moments of tension, there might be joy, because the Lord is near. Getting ahead of myself a little bit there. Rejoice, he says, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Eudia, be gracious to Syntyche. Syntyche, be gracious with Euodia. Church, be gracious with these women. And for all the other tensions I'm not aware of yet, be gracious to each other and even to yourself so that as we limp together, we still might rejoice and that we still might move forward in the privilege of knowing Jesus more and the power of his resurrection. For Jesus himself is shepherding us as he walks alongside us as He limps with us, as it were, taking on our sin and our suffering and guiding us through every season. He is able to sympathize. He is able to guide. He has power to deliver. He is able to forbear and forgive. He is the good shepherd. And He is near. Jesus is with us. When we think about the nearness of Jesus... Uh, We we think about the promises He makes about taking on our burdens and giving us rest. But we also think about kind of our our longing for that time we actually see Him face to face. And while that might not feel near, the sure promise of that, if you trust in Jesus, brings a nearness that ought to invigorate us. And as we think about all these things, taking the tensions in church community, to the Lord Jesus Himself who is near and and bringing us to that end. We reflect on how Jesus' promises and 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 the promises of the Gospel and God's transformative grace in us has real power as we learn this together, as we get it wrong, as we speak words of encouragement to each other. So much of our Christian life is learned, not in an academic sense, but in actually the grittiness of real life, of actually taking our life and, and handing it over to Jesus daily as we take up the cross. We need the joy of Jesus to give us the real power of peace in the real mess of life. As Paul moves out of that moment of rejoicing and of calling call, calling uh, Euodia and Syntyche to uh, be of like mind, to be gracious uh, and as he talks about the nearness of God, he then says, as we move into our second section, do not worry, I think I've, it's on the screen actually, there we go, uh, he it rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, let your graciousness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he flows on into, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is a very famous passage. And it's our privilege now just to dig into this a little bit. As I said, it's going to open up a bunch of things for us that will need time to kind of actually keep exploring. It's why I've asked Val to help us in this way and help our community to actually discover what Jesus is saying here as he gives us his word. But the first thing to notice is that when Paul says to not worry, I'm not going to sing like I did. It was week two where I tried to sing, do not worry, be happy, or whatever. He's not, Paul's not calling us to, to not be anxious and then be, be happy What's He calling us to? What's the kind of bookend of this? Instead of worry, He's calling us to find peace. The peace of God is the opposite of your worries. When you are feeling worried, you ought to long for the peace of God. The question is, how do we get there? And then when you look in that middle section, you go, oh, the answer is prayer. <laughs> I'm not very good at prayer. And then so you start worrying about your worries and where you are on the Christian journey, and it's sort of this vicious cycle of, of kind of like, I'm being told not to worry, but I do worry, therefore I must be a bad Christian. I'm told to pray, and I don't pray very well, and I'm going to keep worrying, and the cycle goes around again, right? But stay with me, because there's some real stuff, special stuff in here. I want us to notice a few things. It's not just prayer, it's not just pray more, it's an invitation. Do not be anxious about anything, That is, any anxiety you have, any worry that you have, in any situation, here is the invitation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... See how that's snuck in there? It's not just kind of like pray the worry away. It's, no, it's actually bring, the, bring by prayer to God your worries and with thanksgiving. That's hard to hold intention sometimes, but we're actually being urged to do that and for good reason, as I'll show you in a moment. Present your request to God. Talk to God. Don't do the negative self-talk loop. Actually bring it out and talk to God and you will find the peace of God as a gift to you as you commune with God in this very real way And that's going to transcend all understanding. Paul's got all kinds of reasons to be worried. It makes sense. It would be understandable if he was worried. But instead, he is gifted to it in calling us to receive the peace of God that transcends what you would ordinarily be worried about. And that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, let's explore some of those a bit. The first thing I I want to say about what's happening to us when we worry, and uh, here we're going to do a bit of prop work, uh, is is I've got all kinds of reasons um, to to be worried. You know, if I was to write each one of these down, in fact, later on, I'm going to actually ask you guys to write down some of the things that are on your heart and give it to Jesus, a bit of prep there uh, for your own kind of uh, what's happening next. But as we think about all the things in our life that are kind of screwed up and kind of causing us worry... They kind of sit in this kind of like worry jar and uh, we carry that around with us and you know while there's a few things in there i 'm a glass half em- of half full half glass half full kind of guy, right and, and so you know there 's a few things in here, but I can see like through it and, and still and, and there 's still kind of room for me there's a capacity still to kind of keep on with life but you know what happens if, if we kind of if we don't deal with this it, we, we keep sort of storing up kind of stuff that's screwed up in our life and disintegrated in our heart and it just keeps filling and and the more it fills us, the more it actually becomes a centre of focus in our life, the less we can see the broader picture and the more we start focusing on this. It is this vicious cycle of worrying, it's activating a kind of what's called our sympathetic nervous system, that, that is our body is reacting to these worries uh, and saying, body, you've got to pay attention, there's some stuff that you need to deal with. And the more that we kind of do that, the more we kind of activate the adrenaline, the cortisol, and again, not, not a counsellor and psychologist, it's just basic stuff, um, please bring more questions to Val, but the, the, you know, our body starts reacting like this because it's in survival mode. It's kind of like pumping your body with adrenaline, ready to go, ready to kind of solve the issue, ready to kind of fight or flight if it needs to. And, and, and then kind of, we, we just, if we're not dealing with it properly, it just keeps sort of filling up like this. I wonder how many people came to church with a jar full of worries. I'm glad you did come to church or if you're watching online and if that is you. You can go ahead and Google kind of how to deal with this and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a whole bunch of stuff from Philippians 4 but you're just going to find the tip of the iceberg. You're not going to find actually the depth that is on offer because of the gospel. And so as we, as we look to Philippians 4 with, with, this, with this glass full, with this worry jar full of worries, Paul is saying, if you're worried about anything, that is, if there's, even if there's one thing in here, but if you've got a whole bucket full of stuff, great. You've got more time to spend with Paul and Jesus here, right? Um, first thing we're called to do is to actually pray about it. And, and like, we, we so easily just kind of skip over that. But what, what's happening when we, when we pray uh, by prayer and petition about our worries, we're actually starting to kind of take it out and we're starting to open it up and we're starting to talk to God about it. Uh, and again, you'll find in the kind of like the, the pop culture, this idea of kind of, you know, uh, name it to tame it. I think that's uh, Dan Siegel. Uh, but, but again, like that's, it's one thing to kind of just name it and tame it, but there's no real kind of like, what do you do with it? God's actually inviting us to, to, to name it before Him. And, and as we do that we're actually doing real business with God. We're saying, actually, I don't know if I have the resources to solve this. I don't know what's next about that. So much of our anxiety is future-oriented and concern about the the kind of the unknowns of what's next. But we're bringing it before the God who actually does know what's next, the God who is sovereign over all. And and as we bring this to Him uh, by prayer and in petition, that, that is kind of as we keep doing it time and time again, because God's not an ATM you're not bringing to him and saying, hey, could you just kind of cash that in for me? Uh, or kind of cash, out? Know, just, don't just solve it for me. He might, but, but actually more that the goal is that you might know Jesus more in the power of his resurrection. And so God might be using this to kind of teach you something about himself. And so by prayer and petition, as you keep bringing it before God, we are being invited to commune with him in more and more real ways. But God's also inviting us to, to again, not just focus on the negative, but to flip it over and actually be thankful. Is there something about this situation that you still can be thankful for? Uh, if I'm stressed about work, can I be thankful that I even have work? Uh, if, if you're stressed about uh, kind of, you know, personal tension in your life, can you be thankful of the way God has responded to you? There was a bit of tension in that relationship until Jesus... And again, you can find in the pop literature, you know, like Oprah, I think, made famous the kind of phrase, attitude of gratitude, thanks Americans. Um, but, But we have someone to thank. We're not just kind of walking around with, you know, throwing gratitude out into the ether. We're bringing this before God and we have Him to be thankful to and for. We started the prayer and praise night on Wednesday night, fantastic night, so many people attended, so encouraging, so enriching, uh, by actually thanking and praising God for who He is. And so there is always a reason to be thankful, no matter how much stress you're carrying. But we are being invited again to not let our, our relationship with God, our own life, be dominated by the worry jar we're actually being called to to bring those worries to the God that we can always be thankful to and for. And even as we're doing that, we're starting to bring back a bit of perspective. We're no longer letting kind of this dominate our every waking moment. But as we come before God and, and bring Him our worries and also hold out what we're thankful for, we're starting to see the world in broader terms again and not just by this. And Paul says, present it to God. Present, Talk to Him about it. So much about anxiety is this kind of negative self-talk, this vicious cycle of I'm not good enough or kind of I'm worried about this and because you can't solve it, you just keep worrying about it. Uh, Paul is inviting us to, Jesus is inviting us to break that cycle and not just talk to ourselves about it negatively, but to talk to God about it to find His restorative, transformative Word in response, knowing that He really does care and He really is teaching us through all things. And again, as we think about it in these terms, the emphasis is not on how we pray, whether you think you're a good prayer or not, the emphasis is on the God who has come close, for the Lord is near, the One who hears, the One who is with us. He Is the reason we have confidence to deal with the mess of life and in response Paul tells us that we will have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God We're still longing for that in so many ways and so that's a continued invitation to come before Him and to keep picking out things and doing business with God about them, that we might break the negative cycles and find something restorative and and find our our heart at rest again. And it's a whole journey, isn't it? We're not made perfect yet. And so we have this privilege of kind of through the mess to know Jesus' power and His peace more and more and we're told this will guard our hearts and minds our heart is that place of desires, it drives us through hopes and fears and it's so easily infected by anxiety. Our mind is kind of what makes sense of our senses, uh, it's the rational part of ourselves and they work together. Think about how we process our worries, think about how we overanalyze even good things and turn them into worries. Think about how we worry about what we're thinking. Or justify our desires. There is this interplay between our thinking part and our desirous part and God is saying here that He will bring us peace and guard those two things, that as we grow in faith we might actually grow in our resistance to a world that is so anxious-filled and that growing in faith would bring a greater and greater peace into our lives. As I finish, uh, and as indeed as I'm going to invite you to to go through this practice of writing one thing down that's worrying you and and one thing that you can be thankful for, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy anything, dwell on these things. What do you do when you are worried, when you're kind of trying to do downtime? I tell you what I'm doing too much of, uh, I don't have a lot of downtime so I'm not creating enough downtime but when I have downtime I'm too easily kind of going to Facebook reels or kind of watching TV to unwind. Yes, we need recreational rest but we need Sabbath rest, We need to be able to stop and dwell on these things, whatever is true, whatever is honourable. And if we're spending our life focusing on just what's in here, uh, we're trying to escape it in the way that we're using our rest time instead of actually dwelling on what is true and honourable and praiseworthy. And that's not just in God, but it's in the people before us that we might have overlooked because we're so full of this. Friends, what a joy it is, that whatever season you are in, we are being called to draw closer to Jesus, who is already near to us. This is an invitation to find peace. And whether you think you're a mature Christian or not, whether you're a usually great prayer or or not, here is an invitation To come to Jesus for all of us who are weary and burdened, and He will give us rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from Him day by day as you petition, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. (laughs) I'm going to pray. And then uh, we're going to do communion uh, in a bit of a different way, uh, as we sort of practice a little bit. Of this I'll pray, and then I'll tell you what's happening. Father, you have given us a word of of life this morning, and would you would you bury that into our heart that is so riddled with the tentacles of our anxieties and worries, that you might loosen those chains. That you might bring transformative grace into our life to overflow to others. Where we have brought tension upon others and ourselves, we acknowledge that. Where we have sinned against brothers and sisters and ourselves and you, we acknowledge that. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your peace. Help us to now go and live that out in the power of the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.